0: Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women by sharing their unique stories and empowering a community through the mission in their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, a former school teacher and principal-turned-author-and-entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. Each week, we will feature stories from women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we are roaring into March like a lioness with our series on advocacy. The women featured in these series are all passionate advocates for worthy and important spaces in our world, and each one shares their heart with us as we learn what causes them to raise their voices. I have no doubts that you will be inspired by these women and their fierce advocacy. As Malala Yousafzai says, when the world is silent, even one voice becomes powerful. Get ready to hear these messages roar, listeners. To launch the series, we welcome Lynn Mara Colon. She is the Director of English Learner Programs and Services in Prince William County, Virginia, where she heads the office that provides comprehensive registration services to English learners and immigrant children and translation and interpretation services. Of the more than 90,000 students enrolled in the PWCS 26% receive services as English language learners. These students represent 124 countries and 149 languages. Lynn is an advocate for students who speak another language. She is passionate about transforming education through digital learning and providing access to technology to all students. She also believes that every school should be run like Disney, providing students with magical experiences every day. She serves on the Scholastic Principal Advisory Board, Board of Directors of VSTE, which is the Virginia Society for Technology and Education, and is a Women Educational Leaders in Virginia Ambassador for her region. She was also recognized as a National School Board Association's 20 to Watch. It is a deep honor to bring to you today Lynn Mara's advocacy story. Welcome Lynn to the In Awe podcast. I am so excited to have you with us today featuring you on the series on advocacy. So welcome.
1: Oh, how are you? I'm super excited to be here.
0: I know that our guests or our listeners, I should say, are going to just learn a ton from you today because you've got such an incredibly dynamic background. But would you share for the listeners that may not be familiar with you
1: what your current context is? Sure. So I am, again, Lynn Colon. I am the director of L Programs and services for Prince William County in Northern Virginia. um, We're like probably 20 miles outside of D.C. Prior to that, I was a principal at an elementary school, um, also an assistant principal, and believe it or not, a social worker uh, in Texas. I have two beautiful uh, 16-year-olds. They're they're twins. um, I'm struggling right now because they're going to leave me soon, so I'm trying to enjoy every minute with them and just... uh, doing a lot of work to support our L learners here and trying to, to make an impact um, in the life of students. Well,
0: I love the fact that you pointed out that you're kind of struggling from that mom role about that they're going to be leaving you soon. And I think we, those of us that are moms understand how quickly it goes, but you also live in kind of these crazy moments where (laughs) when they're toddlers and elementary age kids like mine are, you feel like it's sometimes the days get long, but I love that you point that out, that your focus right now is um, professional, but you also have this mom life. And you shared with me something pretty cool about what you've got going on today. Would you want to share just a little bit about your daughters with the listeners? Yes. So
1: I have a diver and uh, once I'm finished here, she has a, a competition and I'll be watching her and that's that's one of the things, right? You see, you put in so much to raise your children and then you see them blossom and you're at the stands just proud of everything that they're doing. So that's how we'll be spending my Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> With the diver, that's awesome.
0: <laughs> so because we have you on the series of advocacy, I'd love for the listeners to hear a little bit about what it is that you're passionate about in terms of advocating for your learners. And I know that you're saying the L program, but could you explain that a little bit for listeners who may not be familiar with what that means?
1: Sure. So I have the privilege of leading an office that oversees the English learners programs in our division. And we have close to if not 90,000 students. Um, We're a very transient area, Um, 94 schools. And um, I get to supervise the instructional side, the professional development side, the translations piece and the central office registration. And I will tell you, um, Sarah, I love being a principal. Uh, When I transitioned into this role, I had to, there was a lot of prayer involved because I, I love the school, I love the kids. But in reflecting to where I'm coming from, who I am, uh, it, this just made sense because it gives me the, the, the opportunity to influence children that look like me and are experiencing the same challenges I experienced when I came to this country. So it, I'm in a beautiful place because I can be the voice uh, for the students, the parents, and also uh, impact learning at the schools, knowing that I truly understand what it is to come to this country and not know the language.
0: Okay, so I want to just comment on that idea about moving from a position to something you love into something else that you're called into. I really appreciate that piece of your story, and you know, the principal job is it's so transactional. We have these really deep and abiding and really complex relationships with the people that we serve in that role. So I know it would be hard to move into this broader, oh my goodness, 90,000 students (laughs) and over 90 schools. That's just really complex of a leadership position that you've jumped into. So good for you. And it's really cool how you can kind of look back and see all of the positions that you've held in life are leading you to the one that you're in right now. and I really appreciate how you're saying that you can advocate on a broader level for students who may have the same struggles. So would you share with the listeners a little bit about your own history there with coming to the United States and what that might have looked like? Sure. So
1: I, all my schooling was there. When I was uh, 10, I tried coming to the United States uh, because the schooling system is, is not the same Um, we don't have in Puerto Rico students don't have the same access to the things that the students have here in the United States so my mom um, sent me here with my aunt and I remember going to registration and not um, being able to go to the same grade they wanted to retain me because I didn't know the language so I had to go back home And then I came uh, during my senior year, and I remember being in Washington, D.C., and telling a girl that was next to me, I'm going to live here one day. And she looked at me and she said, well, you do know that you need to learn English first. And I always joke and I said, I wish I could find her on Facebook or Instagram to show her um, how far I've come, because this was the second time that someone said something that made me feel as if I didn't deserve to live in this country. And that is why I'm so passionate about this role that I have, because I I know that some of our students and families come here. And just the fact of being here makes it the American dream. And I think the American dream is so much more than that, is being able to contribute to this country to you know have go to school have a job so that has been my message since the minute I took over this position and just trying to inspire our students and families with my story. Am I fluent? I joke that I'm still a level six. No, I have a I have an administrative assistant who is just amazing. Every time I say a word that doesn't come quite right, he writes me a sticky note and puts it on my desk and makes me better. But I'm very open about that because uh, I'm still an English language learner. I'm, I'm still learning English, but that doesn't mean that I'm not equipped or excited about doing this job. So it's been a journey. It's not been an easy journey because I even went to college not being fluent um, here in the United States. But I've had a tribe of people that have um, just supported me and believed in me and encouraged me Look.
0: Where am I now? I love so much of what you've shared because you're instructing our listeners who may have no, you know, they may have no background in education or they may have background in education, but they're working in a system that has little to no English language learners. And I will tell you that here in the northern part of Wisconsin, we really just don't. Um, The district that I just left, the percentage of English language learners is so small. It might be one student, That doesn't have English as their native language. So it's really good for your story to be amplified to people that may not even have an understanding of what that looks like. And I love that it's coming from the lens of your own experience, because you're such a bright and intelligent and forward thinking person who, like you said, you want to be a contributor, If language is the only barrier, we can fix that. And I was also thinking about the concept of learning, the fact that you're still an English language learner. I think that as a former English teacher, most of us are if we're talking about standard American English, (laughs) right? (laughs) Because we all learn our own versions of that. And uh, so I, I really just really value what you've brought our listeners here. Could you share maybe one of... The, the biggest struggles that you had in terms of making the the transition, you said you wanted to come here. You knew you wanted to come here. You, I think it, you said at 10, your mom tried to send you, but I read in your bio that you started at um, 15 at a young age, kind of an advanced learning in Puerto Rico. Is that accurate?
1: Uh, yeah. So I went to college when I was 15 and uh, that was, uh, I always say That was one of the biggest challenges because in my country, what I heard was you have potential and you're smart. And then when I came here and I took the assessment to see where I was going to be placed uh, um, and, you know, based on my uh, level of language, they said you have to be retained. So you have one message back home from people you trust that are telling you, yes, you can do it. And then you come here and the message is you're not good enough. So I struggle with that. And I will say that has such an impact uh, on Lynn that even as an adult, I carry this. I had this narrative in my head of is, are you good enough? Or is this really happening to you? So every good thing that came my way, I felt as if I was not deserving of it because So many other people had said, because of language, you should not be placed here or you do not belong here. I think that happens to women too. Mm -hmm. And talking to, you know, some friends where you just feel, is this really happening to me? But in shock that it is, instead Mm -hmm. of, this is really nice that it's happening to me. I've worked hard to get where I'm at. And even with this role, I will say, when it was time to consider it and apply I, I knew that there was a calling and that it was the, the perfect job for me because I am that kid, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to be inspiring kids that are going through the same thing. But then because of the language, I felt, will I be able to be that polished voice that my division needs? Will I be able to write the policy that they need? Am I deserving of such a big role? It It was hard. It was hard. And I had to do some soul searching and say, Lynn, you have to stop. You have to stop because you cannot continue to question your ability to influence others and have an impact.
0: I am just cheering you so hard from the stands in my mind right now, Lynn, because the fact that you're willing to share that with our listeners is crucial, but also just thinking about you were that kid, but now you've become this strong, impactful, award-winning, determined, incredible leader that has all of the tools in your toolbox that you need to make this position something incredible and probably even better than it ever was because of what you bring to the table, not only with your own life experiences, but also with the fact that you've been um, a social worker. So you've seen a lot of the home life aspects. You've been a teacher, you've been uh, an assistant principal and a principal, which gives you this really beautiful, dynamic and robust vision of what school systems look like. So for you to question yourself, I'll tell you it's normal. And for our listeners, it's, I think, really tied to imposter syndrome where we tend to question ourselves or our worthiness or our ability to jump in, but that's all it is, is a syndrome. So it sounds like you've really reflected through that and pushed yourself. And hopefully you have other mentors and sponsors as I believe you do to coach you through and talk you through those things because the world needs your light. It's so clear, Lynn.
1: Yes. And I, I will say, Sarah, I feel in reflecting that I was the one creating the narrative, not. People were not telling me that I was not deserving. It was Mm -hmm. just uh, me. What has helped in my role has been uh, being vulnerable about my story and just letting people know my why. uh, And when I make a decision or say something, explain to them why I'm so passionate about that. And my colleagues have embraced me and have been very welcoming because of that piece. I think now they understand that, when I speak or say things um, advocating for our L's, it's not because I read it or because I'm just coming with this idea, Is because I lived it. So every presentation, every meeting, every conversation, I bring my story and try to help them understand th- these are the emotions that when and through my body and my head when I experience this as a parent this is how I feel when I hear or have to navigate you know the, these things um, and it, it's been beautiful because I've been able to challenge people's thinking and give them a different perspective I'll give you an example Talk about holidays—they're very difficult for me. I do not have any family here. My family is all in Puerto Rico, so just talking about why I don't want to go to festivities because I get sad has been very interesting. Because I don't think that my colleagues or people at the schools understand that you just want to be home. Um, Mm -hmm. You—the food is different, the festivities are different, and you are sad. You are sad because you're in this country that it's cold. I mean, at least I'm in a cold state. I want to be home in my tropical island with my family. And I can't uh, because of, you know, different reasons. Uh, And I had an administrator that said, wow, I never thought about that. Or the student that's angry because they just came and the mother decided that she was going to bring the the sibling, another sibling first, and the sibling is ahead in language and now This student doesn't know English and is questioning, well, first of all, why was I the second one to be brought here? My sister now has a closer relationship with my mother. I hate this country. Um, It's hard. So it's all those pieces that I think sometimes we don't think about, but they matter and they're part of the story Uh, Of our students. As I was listening, I was trying to put myself in the
0: shoes of a variety of listeners and thinking as an adult, you have the choice. Um, that's, I'm thinking that some people would say that you, you have the choice, Lynn, if you want to go visit. And of course there's more to it probably than that. You know, there's finances, there's social, there's all of that. But thinking about it from the lens of the kids, they, you're right. They, they don't have the choice. And while you really wanted to come to the United States, that might not be the case for all kids. It's just like anybody moving from any place, <laughs> you know, they're at the hands of their parents mm-hmm. and, uh, or the people that are in their lives that they depend upon. And so that's a really great perspective for all of us to take when we're working in the educational system with the kids while they're in it. Um, you know, we have your backstory, which is great. And I love that you bring that authenticity. You just, you taught me, you schooled me right now. That's awesome. Well, and I was thinking too about the perspective, Lynn, because when I referenced that our listeners may not have a population of English language learners, I'm sure there are plenty of of people listening that have strong populations. And I was thinking about, it'd be nice to hear maybe one or two things that you provide to staff to help them, because for me, as... In my own experience, when I was in the classroom, I taught in a tiny school. There were 300 kids in the entire district. So at the high school level, there were about 90 kids in grades 9 through 12. And one of the cool things is that we always had a pretty large population of foreign exchange students and loved loved it. But mm-hmm. one of the struggles that I felt as a teacher and kind of paralyzed because I didn't have the appropriate preparation and the school did not have the supports in place for a variety of reasons Course, because the population was non existent. But for foreign exchange Mm -hmm. students, there is a standard of language that they have to be able to have before they come, of course. But it still didn't, you know, when I'm teaching um, literature and English uh, classes, language classes, and I would have students that just had this utter look of fear, there was always a transition period that was really challenging. I would have really loved to have some tips and tricks, not just the relationship building and the care, because I don't think that was an issue for me, but actually trying to help them access the content. Do you have any kind of go-to strategies for the staff
1: to use? You know, I always say that cultural competency is, is huge. I am going to be vulnerable right now and tell you that just because I'm an L learner, Does not mean that I have been successful reaching all else. And one example was at the school that I was leading uh, last year. Uh, We were very diverse. We had a lot of of English learners, but most of them were from Africa. And Mm. I tried using strategies that I would use with African American students in regards to engagement, and they didn't work because they're they're not African American. They're they're from Africa. So, uh, getting with parents and learning more about the culture and how schooling looked like there, so that I can bring some of those things uh, to the school was just key. Inviting them to the conversation and I learned a lot because I my my background just uh, didn't you know, didn't help in regards to, to teaching the kids. So um, using literature that that they were used to, uh, something as simple as at the elementary level, nursery rhymes, right? You use to the tune of Humpty Dumpty. And that's not something that they're raised with. Mm-mm. That was uh, very interesting. So I think being very intentional in our planning when, when we are serving the kids it is key. So, as a leader, I I often would ask the the staff, okay, what are we gonna do for for else? Um, do we have literature that that they would be engaged, you know, in, or can we bring parents to help us, you know, with with this area? And then just having little bits, you know, and, and pieces where they felt, huh, you know what? They've taken me into consideration when they've planned for this, because the reality is. I don't think that when people get together to create the curriculum, they're having those conversations. So we owe it to the kids to have it at the school level and division level to make sure that they feel included.
0: Well, and I really appreciate how you point that out because anybody listening, you might start to feel a little overwhelmed and you start to pick a p- apart all of those pieces because you're right. Not everybody comes from the same background. And even my example isn't on point because my foreign exchange students weren't English language learners and cultural competence was huge. It It is. And it remains so because you can have students that come from Mexico or Germany and you can't treat um, your strategies the same <laughs> because they're completely different cultures that the students come from. So that um, a shout out to educators working with students every day in diverse situations. And I would say too. you reference the nursery rhymes, it kind of cracks me up because we just didn't emphasize that a ton in my own home with my daughters. And so even how we assess students is fascinating to me in the United States because my daughters, one of them struggled really hard with the rhyming, (laughs) the nursery rhymes because (laughs) it just isn't a part of the culture of our home. So it's just um, kudos to you for doing this good work and shining a light and just doing your best to help educators serve the students that are right in front of them because that's always what matters and it changes every year.
1: Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I talk about assessment. Also, we have uh, a tool that we use to determine the reading ability of students, and when you look at the books, they're not very diverse. No, they're not. <laughs> so, so here we are assessing students and asking comprehension questions that have to do with the text. And for the little ones, there's a lot of picture support. But if you don't have that background knowledge, it can have an impact on you know, the results. So, uh, just being aware, and once you get to that place. You start seeing, oh, OK, we're going to have to do a little bit of work of this. The names, I just worked with my teacher leaders about names and I share with them my story about how I felt I lost so much. And I, I love Lynn. Um, I love the nickname Lynn. But my name when I came to the United States was Lynn Mara Cosme. So the the military said I needed to change Uh, my name because that's how we did things here so I became Cologne and then nobody could roll the R Sarah (sighs) so I became Lynn and it was hard Mm. because when I went home my family would say okay what happened here What, what happened and I said well it's a you know it's a long story we're all happy now I I love my nickname and um I've come to terms but for some of our families kids are named after someone there's a history uh, in their names and for us to say okay we're going to shorten it or pronounce it incorrectly that matters so we we talked about uh, that and and how important it is to honor those things in the classroom
0: well and We know that naming is incredibly important. All it takes is to sit there and struggle over what you're going to name your own child. Or we all have our naming stories, you know, how our names came about. And I did ask you um, at the beginning how if I was going to say Lynn or your full name and you went with Lynn.
1: Yes, I appreciate that. (laughs) Yes, Yes.
0: Well, but it's interesting because... I think it's a whole other podcast, (laughs) honestly. (laughs) When I think about you and how dynamic and complex your background is, there's so many different topics we could be discussing. But I love so much that you're featured on Advocacy because just here, there's a mission in your message to you've touched upon so many different things that maybe our listeners hadn't even thought of or that we have many listeners who are experts in this field and are just loving to hear that your message is getting out there. So that's really cool. Oh, thank you. I wanted to get to another piece because you did mention that when you were kind of considering and rumbling with your worthiness for applying for this position, you said something about it might be a a female thing too or, or things that women struggle with. And true, that is pretty clear that there's a worthiness concern for females, and for a large variety of reasons. But since we're on the advocacy series, I wanted you to get an opportunity to share just a little bit about the project you're working on um, in authoring a book to advocate for girls.
1: Yes, so um, I'm working with Adam Welcome, and we will have a book release uh, soon, and it's all about empowering uh, girls and you know um, women too. There's there's Beautiful stories and and writing there, but I I think there was a reason why we were writing the book. You know, I'm I'm a woman of faith, so I'll make that clear. And I think that 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 book has so much to do with me applying and interviewing for this position because uh, we started writing uh, while I was considering this role, and the more and more I wrote, I said, "Wow." Wow, I have to do some some hard work uh with myself and and just not doubting that I that I could do it, right? Um and to give it a try. But yeah, I struggle with it. I struggle with it, just questioning everything. And the way I would describe it is I created movies in my head of why not and why someone would be better for the role and and doubted myself for years. And even when, when Adam and I got together to write the book, I said, what? Me writing a book? No, this, this doesn't happen to people like me. So the movie again came and, and you'll read a little bit about it. in the book, I, I, I cried because I couldn't believe it. And, you know, even when I won the 20 to watch, I, went through the same emotions. What? Is this happening to me? No, there's no way. Um, I'm so not deserving of this. So I've I've struggled with it. And I think what the book did for me more than allowing me the opportunity to write was just to um, put me in a a place of self-reflection where I discover so much about myself. And then I'm able now with, with that writing project, share it with others, and and let people know, first, this is normal. You're not the only one. And second, you have to move on. You have to liberate yourself from that self-doubt. You deserve to liberate yourself um, because there's just no reason, right? Do not create a narrative that's negative because the world is so ready uh, to hear your story and receive what you have uh, to give.
0: And it makes me so excited that this project is coming out there and that you're shining a light that you and Adam are working together to shine the light because it's just a passionate space that would be so easy to gloss over and ignore and not continue to push and advocate for girls and women for empowerment because we feel like maybe we've arrived somewhere. And I would say that Yes, absolutely. In our history in the United States, we have arrived somewhere, but we have miles and miles to go.
1: Oh, and to do it with a man was just very interesting. I bet. We had two different perspectives and we, we share the same values and we believe in the same thing, but he allowed me to challenge his thinking he just the beautiful things that he shared about what he wants uh, for his daughter and the work that he's doing to make sure she's this you know amazing girl uh, was just beautiful. I I've enjoyed it um, and and you know it, our goal is to to share that we can come together for one common cause. yes. Uh, so I'm excited. I'm super excited. Um, about it and the release, and just sharing our story with the world. Wonderful. And
0: um, we've talked about having both you and Adam on the podcast at some point with the series so that listeners can hear about that. If you were able to write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, and this is inspired by Nicole Norderman, who is a musician from this uh, song, She Has, Dear Me, where she writes a letter to herself.
1: What do you think you would say, Lynn? Don't uh, overthink it. Uh, don't overthink it. I think sometimes we we don't take a step, or we don't dare to do great things because we're overthinking it. And I have to go back to what I was saying: that me questioning, am I good enough? Don't let that get in the way. Don't get that let in the way. Um, and yeah, I I just I just think about all all the times where I was just afraid, afraid of, of either sharing my story or doing things the and I was the one getting in the way with those thoughts, so I'm doing that work with my girls and just um talking to them about, okay, let's just think things true, but you're you're amazing girls, right? Share your story with the world, just go after it. I don't want them to have any regrets.
0: That's awesome. So then kind of tied to that, but a little bit separate. What, as an influential woman, what words do you think you could give listeners who may find themselves in a pit of that fear or doubt or questioning to help them rise up out of that?
1: You know, we all have our tribe and we we all have those, I call them cocoon friends, Sarah, the ones that are that are always there with us. I will say when you're going through a struggle, and and I've had many, or self-doubt, and your cocoon friends say, let me know if you need anything, take them on it. Take them on it. Put the pride aside. That's what they are there for. Uh, There's a lot of crying that we do and a lot of, uh, again, the overthinking uh, in our own space uh, because we're trying to do it alone. And I truly believe that God puts amazing people in our path to help us through our journeys. So if someone says, "Hey, you know, let me know what I can help you with, or call me if you need anything, and they're those cocoon friends, take them up on it uh, on the advice, on the help, on the support, because we we are not made to do life by ourselves, right? We are made to do life. Uh, together. So I I would, I would say, yes, don't be afraid, put the pride aside.
0: Mm, I love that concept of cocoon friends. Thank you for sharing that. And a lot to unpack there when you consider our dynamic lives and how our, um, our cycles of friendship can kind of come and go. But that concept of the cocoon friends, I'm sure are there with you through a lot of those different phases. So thank you for sharing
1: that. Yeah, because they'll, my thing is they'll give you advice and even if you're in the wrong or you messed up, they'll love you regardless. And that's what you need. Someone that just welcomes you um, as you are and and is able to tell you, okay, this is my perspective. This is what I will help you with. This is, we're going to see this through and I'm going to love you still regardless of what's going on. And I hope
0: everyone listening has at least one cocoon friend. That's incredible. Yes. All right. So I just want to get one rec- one on-spine recommendation from you today, Lynn. You are an avid reader, <laughs> so what is one text or book that you would recommend to our listeners?
1: Oh my, I am a fan of Brene. <laughs> Dare to Lead is amazing. Uh, I. Yes, that's where I'm sitting right now.
0: <laughs> oh, it's great. Every, as I've been listening to you, I thought, oh, you're, this, this is good. You're reading Brene Brown. Uh, she's a life changer for sure. And I think she's been recommended on the podcast several, several times. So if you're listening and you've been a consistent listener and you haven't picked up her books yet, you better get at it because she is absolutely life changing, I think. She is. She is. Okay, well, that is the end of our interview for today. And would you just share with the listeners how they could engage with you after listening to this podcast? Sure, so I'm,
1: I'm active on social media at the Colognes. Um, also my name, Lynn Cologne on Unboxer. I have people that reach out all the time and um, I would like to think that I'm very responsive. I'm also um, Lynn Cosme on Instagram, um, my nickname and then C-O-S-M. E. so yes any any of those uh we're in this work together so any questions about L's, woman in leadership or just anything if you want to connect um i am here we're in this good fight together
0: That's awesome. And I will be sure to link all those in the show notes for listeners so that they can get in touch with you, Lynn. Thank you so much for being a part of our in community and providing this incredibly awe-inspiring story. I'm so glad to have had this conversation with you today. Oh, thank you. The amazing Malala Yousafzai says that one voice can be heard in a silent world. It would be amazing if you could help this voice from the Inna podcast today reach masses. Subscribe to the podcast, rate, review, share the episode with your friends. I am so thankful that you joined us today, and I am honored that you would consider raising these wonderful women up and their messages to help them land where they need to. Thank you for joining this awe-inspiring community.